Welcome to Terrible, the podcast where two friends discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare themselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcasts will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. I'm Renee, a longtime true crime enthusiast. Marie, on the other hand, has recently delved into all that is true crime. We both believe that once you watch or listen to your first true crime case, there's no going back. So let's do this. Okay, let's get into some updates. So I've been saving this story for you. So this happened last Friday after we finished our recording of last okay. week's episode. So I am getting ready to have some friends over. We were going to watch an Olympic hockey game um, and I'm prepping like wings and nachos, you know, just a kind of Friday night in. And my boyfriend gets home. So Matt gets home from work and he's like, oh, I'll take the dog out. Sure, no problem. I was like, I just took him out. Like he doesn't need to, to do his business or anything, but you can take him out if you want. So he takes him out and then about like, I don't know, five, 10 minutes later, I just hear like ruckus coming into the house. Ollie is screaming. You like know, yelping? Yelping, okay. <laughs> and because he doesn't listen, I'll embarrass him a little bit, but Matt is like in full tears, okay? Like they're both full panic and I'm just like marinating chicken wings. Like what just happened? Anyway, so basically Matt took Ollie out and Ollie got really excited. All he did was jump up and land weird on his paw oh i'm saying this i think boy dogs are way more dramatic than girl dogs <laughs> i've only ever had girl dogs i've never heard any of my dogs make the noises that ollie was making so obviously matt is in full panic so i had Aww. to kind of be the you know level-headed one so he's holding ollie and ollie seems to stop whimpering a little bit but then as soon as we put him down ollie puts a bit of weight on his leg and like screams so now i'm thinking our puppy right. just broke his leg Mm, that'll be expensive not yeah not only is that gonna be expensive but so matt's parents hi susan she listens <laughs> matt's parents um susan and john they have a dog and when he was a puppy he broke his leg and this was like i don't know maybe three or four years ago and i remember how hard it was for them to try to burn the puppy energy while still trying to keep him off his leg that's and so I was true just, yeah and i was just thinking like we already signed up for so much and now this is going to be 10 times harder so we rushed to the nearest emergency vet which is not close to us and i felt like such a bad dog mom having like not looked up what vet is open 24 hours for emergencies before yeah getting a dog but i just like didn't think we would need it mm -hmm. at least not this soon so 45 minutes later we're at the emergency vet when <laughs> you were supposed to have people over yes. and host. obviously we canceled our little viewing party and uh yeah so we sign in and as time goes on all these seems to be doing better and better and we're just kind of like is he just like running on adrenaline, like getting used to the pain or, and he's getting restless in our arms. So we kind of slowly kind of let him on the ground the, the first few times he yelps a little bit. And then basically we're there for three and a half hours waiting. So okay. we were at the vet until about 1am. Like I said, as time's going on, seems to be getting better, but we're like, we're here. I was convinced like the sounds he was making, like mm -hmm. 
we're not being dramatic like he was screaming finally his turn comes up and the vet comes out and calls his name and he literally walks himself <gasps> into the vet's office like his tail is like wagging and me and Matt are just like oh man like and then she takes him she brings him to the back she examines him and brings him back to us and she's like I think you guys just have a little drama queen on your hands so he did all of that for absolutely no reason. I think he maybe twisted his ankle a little bit. You know, that's like all those TikToks where it's like they bring it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, no, your dog's just being dramatic. Yeah. It's like I cost mom $500 yeah. for a tummy ache or whatever. Oh, my God. Ollie. Oh, man. And that and probably scared you guys to death, too. Like, that's not a fun oh, Friday man. night. Yeah. I think it definitely scared Matt more than it did Because he but saw I think, it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And just based on the fact that he was so upset, I was like, if we both get into this mindset, then it's you know, it's going to be a mess. Yeah, you're right. He's totally fine. Okay, good. Oh my God. Thank God. Running around the next day, like nothing even happened. Like, no problem at all. Yeah. It shouldn't have been his first vet appointment, but it it was his first vet appointment. But later on that week, we had his actual first vet appointment. Yeah. And that went very well. They said that he has a bit of an underbite, which is kind of cute. Okay, that's actually adorable. Like, I actually love that. I just hope it doesn't like, but she said, she's like, don't worry about it. Like, it's really not that big of a deal. His teeth are going to move a lot anyway. So we'll see. But yeah, and then they gave us a reference for like a puppy daycare that they thought we should bring him to. Yeah, so I think we're going to we're gonna sign him up for at least once a week so he can mm-hmm. play with his friends. That's so good. Get him socialized. <laughs> the only other thing that I was thinking of is that, have you seen the commercials for the movie Marry Me? It's with J-Lo and Owen. Oh. The commercials are advertising. It's like a throwback to like rom-coms, like kind of like when we grew up. And okay. it's like with those actors that were in a lot. And yeah. it, it was such a good movie. I don't know. I just enjoyed it beginning to end. And oh, J-Lo looks freaking amazing. Yo, she's so hot. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't get over it. And I was just like smiling the whole way through that movie. And I was like, I should watch rom Like, and The thing is, there's not really a ton of like good, good rom-coms anymore. And I was like, I just miss like these types of movies. Yeah, because rom-coms are good bring you to this like nostalgia, like. I don't know. It's just such a good feeling to watch a rom-com, especially on like a Friday night, some wine, like can never go wrong. It was so good. I was like very looking forward to watching it and I was not disappointed. So (laughs) highly recommend if you need a pick me up, watch Marry Me. So we all know that Renee always has the most exciting updates. My update is that Zoe met her first doggos this past, I guess, last two weekends. So this weekend and the weekend before they've all been way bigger than her. And some Mm -hmm. of them were like big, big puppies. And so they like really wanted to play with her, but didn't know how they would like paw Mm -hmm. her, which would literally just like squish her. (laughs) But she was really like interested. And she met a chihuahua that was an 11 year old. Yeah. An 11 year old chihuahua that was rescued from Montreal. Yeah. And it it was like one of those chihuahuas that like has her tongue out all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cute. Her name was Penny too. So freaking cute. Good Zoe making friends. Yeah, so she's finally making friends. And um, my other update, it, it's really not that exciting, but for me, I was so excited. When I went over to Renee's in October, I saw that she had like a, an indoor garden where you can grow herbs fairly easily. Like you really don't have to do anything. You just, it's pretty much a machine with some light just turns on and off by itself. So I got one of those. And I'm so excited. I've been looking at it every day, waiting for it to sprout and still nothing. But you know, it says the first one is at least six days. So we're almost there. What are you growing? Just whatever came in the, in the box. Oh, okay. It's like herbs, yeah, so, right? Yeah. So it's basil, dill, and parsley. 
I think. Nice. It's really fun. They're Arrow Gardens, and I think there's a couple different companies that make them. Yeah. But they're just really cool. And they put, like, greenery on your kitchen exactly. counter. Yeah. It's we grew fun. tomatoes. Like, our tomato mm-hmm. plant's kind of dormant right now, but it produced, like, a ton of tomatoes, which is kind of fun. Yeah, and the thing is, is, I find it more fun when you have herbs, like, in your house to just be like, oh, I'm cooking. Let me throw this in. Instead of mm-hmm. always having to plan it in advance and, like, get it at the grocery yes. store, it's just so much nicer. Oh, why not add some of this, you know? Yeah, so and it's so much more convenient to have it, like, growing than to buy those little packets yeah. of herbs that, like, mold within, like, a couple of days. Exactly. You so literally annoying. use it for one recipe, and then it's, like, done. So. Yeah. Well, the other thing which you didn't say is we had some computer drama this week. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. So, I have a MacBook, and I've used it since I started in university, which what is that like heaven I think I don't know anyways way too long ago yeah long ago and it's still kicking it's still doing good but it has no storage so when we record it just kind of loses all all the recordings and I don't know where it goes so I was freaking out because I couldn't find any of the recordings from last episode and on my storage it says that like 90% of my storage is used by quote unquote other (laughs) so I don't even know what to delete to make storage on my computer but you know what restarted it they popped up somewhere so thank god yeah Yeah. I would have been so mad (laughs) yeah me too I was trying to be really supportive I was like no problem we could just re-record but inside (laughs) I was like oh my god hopefully they're not gone yeah I don't know and like it literally popped up after I restarted my computer popped up exactly where I was looking the entire time like they literally were not there yeah and my computer's like on the verge of death too so good thing we're like a little bit in advance in our recordings Mm -hmm. because my battery needs to be replaced I also have a MacBook also so just as old so eventually we're gonna need to put some some funds aside anyway pray for pray for our laptops keep them in your thoughts and hopefully they they stick with us for another little while All right, so the sources for this week's case are three Wikipedia articles and one Murderpedia article. There's a CTV article, and then there's an episode of The Fifth Estate called Melissa Ann Shepard. I won't read the last part because it's going to give it away, so don't read it. That <laughs> was out in 2012. And there's a CTV article and then a CBC article by Nick Logan. We're talking today about Melissa Ann Russell. Melissa was born in Burnt Church, New Brunswick. I was really happy when I found this case because I was trying to find a freaking East Coast mm. <laughs> crime story. I was like, why are people so good in the East Coast? Like, it's really hard to find. In 1953, Melissa was about 18 or 19 and she moved to Ontario to live with her aunt and complete her high school through evening courses at Stratford College. In 1955, Melissa, who sometimes went by Millie, was 20 years old. She married Russell Shepard and the pair had two children, a son and a daughter. The family lived all together in Toronto. Unfortunately, Russell was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. So I wanted to give a bit of background. So this is what Wikipedia told me. Hodgkin's lymphoma is a type of lymphoma in which cancer originates from a specific type of white blood cell called lymphocytes. All the treatments that Russell was having to go through made it impossible for him to work and pay rent and also, you know, support the family's basic needs, which is really hard. I hope that there was some kind of government funding or something that would be able to help a family like this around that time but that puts a lot of stress obviously on a family with young kids this caused melissa to start writing bad checks 
So from 1971 to 1985, Melissa was charged with over 30 counts of fraud and forgery while in Ontario and Prince Edward Island. She is convicted and spends over five years in jail. So this, from from where we are now in the story, sounds really tragic. Like she obviously is in a very tough mm-hmm. situation. She's trying. It seems like she's trying to provide for her family and care for her husband, but unfortunately, you know, it seems like she kind of overdid it and uh, she gets caught. It's hard because it's like, what do you do at that point when you literally? can't afford to live just kind of forces people to make bad decisions yeah and it's it's the stress of poverty the stress of children and then the stress of like illness within the family right Mm -hmm. so it just probably is super overwhelming in december of 1985 melissa is released from detention and she returns to live in pei she moves to her husband's whole town which is montague pei I'm unsure really what the relationship is like between Melissa and her husband while she's in prison or with the kids. Like, it's really not that clear, but I think the whole family does move together to PEI and kind of, you know, decides to try and start a new life. While in PEI, she gets a real estate license and begins her real estate career. In 1988, she meets a man called Gordon Stewart. Gordon was a widower and he had been in the army and his wife had recently died of cancer. He was at the time selling a property of his, so I'm assuming that's how they they ran into each other. Anyway, the two apparently hit it off and they began a romantic relationship. But at this point, she is still married to Russell. Not great. (laughs) Not great, Melissa. Not a great look. No, and there's really not a lot of information about her kids or her first husband at this point. So I don't know if they were living together, like if they were separated. Yeah, it's not clear. It's not really like formulated or like worded like they were separated um in the articles that i read but oh oh i have to mention i also did listen to the uh, dark putin episode on her as well in 1990 melissa and gordon get married in vegas which you know at this point she's not separated from russell her first husband but she's getting married to gordon in vegas which i don't i know that for like if you're in the united states if you go to Las Vegas and get married it's technically legal I don't think that's the case for Canadians I don't think you could just fly to Vegas and get married like that doesn't make it a legal Canadian marriage especially the fact like you can't get double married right I think it's just way easier to get married in Vegas and like it takes way less time like there's not a huge process to it but there's still steps to take like this seems very sketchy but later they decide to have another ceremony in Vancouver but she is still married to her first husband so whether they kind of you know tried to like fool the system a little bit and she was able to get remarried is one thing or maybe the marriage was never legitimate but it seems like it was so it's reported that gordon her new husband likes to drink and he seems to like it more than maybe the average person december 23rd 1990 at their apartment in pei gordon becomes kind of delusional Soon after, he's discovered frothing at the mouth and on the floor. He's immediately taken to hospital. When the care team runs some tests, they find benzodiazepine in his system. Melissa would report that Gordon was often violent and drunk, even saying that once he put a gun to her head and pulled the trigger, but said that when he tried firing the pin jam and she was able to phone the police. He was apparently charged with careless discharge of a firearm, and he had his gun seized and prohibited from owning a firearm for the next five years. Yeah, so that was a lot of information. First of all, I'm going to start with five years is not enough. If you tried to kill someone, that should be basically attempted murder, but also just five years prohibited of not owning a firearm. Like, no, take that right away from him. He does not need it. Especially in Canada, like, I'm really surprised that they allow him to have one after five years because that was, like, one thing after the next. Maybe he does drink too much, but also when he does, like, gets a little bit uh, aggressive, like, that's, that's really scary. Yeah. 
Definitely. And at this point, you're thinking like, this is awful, right? I feel like maybe Melissa thought that she was kind of escaping one bad relationship and getting into Mm. another. And it seems like at this point, that's kind of not what she's getting. In 1991, an altercation takes place between the two of them, and Gordon is charged with and pleads guilty to assaulting Melissa. He serves time in jail. While he was in jail, she would visit him often. In March 26, 1991, a probation order for Gordon stipulates that he is to have no contact with Melissa, so this is not uncommon. If you're kind of convicted and put in jail of a crime against a person, then usually, you know, you're not supposed to contact them. Yeah. Which... Or yeah, it's, well, that, but then also you shouldn't be contacting them once you're actually out because it's one right. thing to visit someone when they're behind bars, but it's hard because if, if this is a domestic, I'm saying if because it's all going to kind of come together later, but if this is a domestic abuse scenario, then, you know, obviously it's not great that she's visiting him in prison or in jail, I mean, but realistically, it's hard. why, I mean, I know the logic answer to this, but why wouldn't he be able to see Melissa if she doesn't have restraining order? Yeah, or she like, doesn't have, yeah. yeah, if she doesn't have a restraining order, like I understand not being able to see her if she, de- if she has a restraining order and she didn't go visit him in, in prison, but the fact that but she it- still went to visit him, like logically, I understand that he probably shouldn't go see her, but at the same time, maybe she's not opposed to it. I don't know. Yeah, so the information says that it's from a probation order, which we haven't really dived into a lot. I think there are probation hearings, but like I said, we'll, we'll look into it more and maybe we'll be able to answer some of those questions. So after he's released over the next few weeks, Melissa would contact her husband many times. Melissa and Gordon decide to relocate to Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. I guess they wanted a fresh start, which, you know, makes sense. And I don't know, like, this is again the probation thing like Mm -hmm. usually they want you to kind of stay where you are and not kind of go far check in with a probation officer so i don't know but i either this was legal or not but they decide to up and move and they go to nova scotia ideally this would have been their chance to kind of at a new life but in april 27th 1991 melissa and her husband go for a drive to kind of like a deserted area you know they go for a very nice long drive and she will later say that gordon takes this opportunity to rape her which i i hate that uh that's yeah when he leaves the car to go pee she decides this is her chance to escape it seems like there's a documented history here of not necessarily saying abuse but there's a violent history between these two right it seems mm-hmm. like there could be some patterns of abuse but this is what she says so she says that he takes her out for a drive he takes the opportunity rapes her and then she obviously probably in a state of shock especially if this is the first time this has happened she gets into the driver's seat and she decides this is her chance to escape she goes to start the car and instead of putting the car in, in forward <laughs> how do you drive, drive? <laughs> instead of putting the car in drive she accidentally puts the car in reverse and runs him over now she says that she didn't mean to do this she hadn't realized that the car was in reverse but obviously when she puts the car back in forward <laughs> and drive she runs him over again and off she goes so three hours later um i think because well not because but people had seen her flee from the scene so she decides to report his death so she goes into an rcmp detachment and she tells them what has happened when they find gordon's body they see that he had non-prescribed benzodiazepine in his system it's reported that it was enough to kill him they run some tests which seem like to be to me a rape kit and it says that the rape was not proven or confirmed so you know they weren't able to find any evidence that this had happened which i 
you know, I don't think is that uncommon. Police seem to think that she had drugged her husband and then ran him over when the drugs didn't kill him. They used police dogs to search the woods where she said she had been raped, but there was no signs of anyone being there. So it was a bit confusing to me. I guess when I had first read the story, I pictured the rape happening in the car. Yeah, me too. What's really happened is that they left the car, went to the woods, it happened there. And then when they were on their way back to the car, that's when he stopped to take a pee Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. I think because um, the rape kit didn't confirm anything, she tells investigators that she had not been penetrated because he was too intoxicated to kind of perform, quote unquote. Yeah, so he was too intoxicated, but she said that the reason he was too intoxicated is because he was on shaving lotion. Shaving lotion? (laughs) Lotion? That's what it says. Shaving lotion. So someone please tell me if in the early 90s, shaving lotion had alcohol in it. So. I've heard of like people using, like drinking um, like hand windshield sanitizer w- and like windshield oh. washer fluid and stuff. So maybe it was made of something that's not made of now back then. I have no idea. But this is what she says, which oh, the thought of like drinking, well, <laughs> <Disgusting>. <laughs> drinking yeah, cream is so gross. But this is what she says. She said that this is what he was on. And like, come on, man, just buy like a Mickey of vodka or something. Like this is not. No. But to be fresh out of jail, you're you're desperate. You have no money. <laughs> Maybe. I didn't see anywhere that they had money problems. But I mean, it's probably a big possibility. Yeah. And yeah, maybe it is cheaper. I mean, I hope that's the reason you're choosing to. I was going to say drink, but that's not even drinking at that point. That's like straight up eating. <laughs> like a bowl like yogurt. Literally, though. I want to think it was liquidier before. Liquidier. Yeah, that's the word I'm going for. Liquidier before. It just sounds super gross, and I freaking hope it was way cheaper. Maybe like aftershave? Like, isn't that like liquidy? Yes, like maybe. This is what it's reported of. Could have been anything. Uh, this just is weird. But it's super weird. She then states, To say that he raped me doesn't mean he has to have sexual intercourse with me. That means he could have performed other kinds of sex on me that is considered rape. Okay, so now Melissa's husband is now dead and she decides to apply for pension benefits from the Department of National Defense and Canada Pension. So I have mixed feelings about this, I think because we're gonna get into some more stuff. My feelings are, if you got raped, you're owed that pension. (laughs) So get it and, you know, take care of yourself. But it's it's not going to be that that so, cut and dry. Yeah, and like earlier, did we say that maybe he would have overdosed as his cause of death? They basically said that he had so much drugs in his system that he could have been like basically barely functional and like on yeah. the point of where he could have died. So realistically, so, she didn't necessarily kill him. Earlier in the case, he was taking those drugs on his own, right? Okay, just keep going. Sorry. <laughs> No, it's it's unclear at this point. Like at okay. this point, it's totally unclear. For this scenario, we have no idea. It's okay. not going to come out later. We have no idea if he was taking them or, you know, if he was unaware that he was taking them. Uh, but basically, they said that he had so much in his system that it could have killed him. Okay. I don't think that you can argue like in a court that would have killed him anyway because there's no way of actually proving that. So in May of 1991, uh, Melissa and Russell Shepherds, her first husband's divorce is finally done. So they're officially divorced and that's finalized, which comes at a weird time because she's just going through pretty it. Much, yeah, killed her first, you know, pretty much killed her first husband, whether it was, you know, people can argue self-defense or whatever. She killed her first husband, and now finally her first husband's divorce has been finalized. She killed her second husband. Yes. Yeah, she paid. killed yeah. her second husband, and now her first husband just... 
finalize the divorce. Yes. Yeah, that's going so many on. husbands. Yeah. There's more. There's going to be so many husbands. Oh, so this goodness. is probably not the first time that you're going to correct me. But yes, first husband, divorce is finalized. Second husband just died. May 26, 1992, Melissa is convicted of manslaughter in the death of her second husband, Gordon. He was 44 at the time of his death. She is sentenced to six years in prison. Melissa seems to be doing all right in prison. She's in the women's prison in Kingston, Ontario. And while there, she forms a support group for women. She wrote an article about her relationship and her time in prison. It was entitled, Prison for Women Invisible Minorities. In this article, she stated several things. She talked about her relationship with Gordon and said that it started out good but turned bad quickly, which is, again, a sign of, of domestic abuse. You know, it's all good and then you kind of do kind of a next step like getting married or, you know, maybe you're pregnant and then you see that the abuse is kind of ramping up. She said that he came from a family of alcoholics and she thought that she could save him. He constantly criticized her and beat her. This thing made her feel inadequate. He strangled her until she passed out and he even cracked her ribs and collarbone. It's important to say that this is all coming from Melissa's point of view. In the 2012 Fifth Estate episode about Melissa, Gordon's family will say that he was not abusive, but he was abused. The RCMP in charge of the file also speaks in the episode and shares that he definitely thought that she had run over her husband because of a monetary motive. His family again said that Gordon seemed sick and seemed drained. And Melissa also took money from his account the entire time that they were in a relationship. In March 1994, the National Film Board documentary, When Women Kill, would air. Melissa is featured as one of the prime characters. I could not find this, but apparently this kind of, I think this depicts her in like kind of like the battered woman who, you know, this tells the story very much that I kind of narrated to you before. I'm like putting a bit of doubt into what she says to the investigators, to mm -hmm. us, the public. She would become kind of a poster girl for abused women, even making public appearances. That same year, she was released from prison with full parole. In May of 1996, she sets up a toll-free counseling line for women having trouble in jail. It's called Project Another Chance. In 2000, she met an 82-year-old named Robert Friedrich at a Christian retreat in Florida. Robert was a retired engineer, and his wife of 53 years had recently passed of breast cancer. After the retreat, she would return to Canada and send him a letter saying, God wants us to be married. The correspondence would include her picture. In May of 2000, Robert responds to her letter. I'm sure he felt lucky that a younger woman was interested in him. I mean, maybe. This is an assumption, but from what comes next, I'm, it seems like he was excited. Eventually, Melissa would return to Florida to visit Robert. Three days into their visit, the couple would be engaged. Yeah. Red flag. <laughs> <laughs> this is real soon, okay? Okay, Robert, yeah. maybe you don't propose to her after she's visiting three days. her after three days. Yeah, this is the second time they meet, right? So, like don't do this <laughs> don't do this be this careful is, this is like worse than 90 day fiance yes yes getting married is such a big thing and you're sharing so many things with that person like financial emotional everything just be like really sure that you know the person that you're getting married to yeah and that's the thing like since we covered a little bit about melissa's past i don't think she takes marriage necessarily that seriously yeah i think that's fair so, to say. <laughs> hopefully robert at least knows that she was married twice previously and like knows at least that kind of information about her but I have a feeling he doesn't. In June of 2000, all during the same year, Melissa and Robert get married. They get married in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia at the Interfaith Wedding Chapel. In March of 2001, the Friedrich family notices that Robert's health is kind of failing. 
when they talk to him on the phone, they notice that he has, you know, kind of a slurred speech and he's often admitted to the hospital. In May of 2001, police investigation records show that Melissa received two prescriptions for lorazepam. The records would show that upon six occasions, Melissa got drugs from one doctor and then within 30 days of the first prescription received another from a different doctor, which you are not supposed to do. That's it's a lot harder to do now, I think, with like kind of everything being digital. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's definitely like abusing the system. Yeah, and these are some intense drugs that she's getting. Like these aren't just like you know Advil or allergy pills. <laughs> like it's yeah. this is a lot. In July of 2002, one of Robert's sons calls the elder abuse line and launches a complaint against Melissa's care of his father. Just like a side note, elder abuse is a great resource if you have any family member. There's pretty much one in, I think, at least in North America, every state or every province, even city, there's an elder abuse team that work with the police. So if you have any concerns ever that your loved one or someone that's older that you, you know, you're involved in their life or even as an acquaintance, you think there's abuse going on, report it because it happens so often. It's so sad to think that the, the elderly can be taken advantage of because they're such like a vulnerable population. But I just... Yeah. I just think of my own grandparents and I'm like, no one touched them. (laughs) I know. Well, I used to work in a retirement home when I was in university. And you know those scam calls we all get that we just hang up on because mm-hmm. they're so annoying? They would target. Like, it like yeah. it was ramped up to, like, an amount where it was, like, ridiculous. Like, daily, several times a day, they were targeting people. So after their complaint, Elder Review suggests that um, Robert gets home care, but Melissa refuses. So home care is basically when you have nurses, care aides, or PSWs coming into your home, uh, you know, for a certain amount of hours, maybe every day or a couple times a week just to check on the person. Um, It's also a really good resource if you need extra help, but Melissa is refusing at this point. I'm assuming that they are in the States and it's kind of hard for them to kind of get control over the situation. It's pretty obvious that they do not like Melissa whatsoever. And they thought that she was just kind of like a gold digger out for out for dad's money. There are many arguments between Melissa and Robert's kids. Melissa even left a voicemail for one of his sons at one point. I have something to share with you this morning. Your father and I are going to see a lawyer and he's going to um, change his will. He's going to leave all his money to me except for the portion he had set aside to you. And that portion now is going to the Christian retreat and you're getting nothing, a fat zero. So try that on for a size and have a nice day. Could you imagine your parent gets remarried and this is the type of wicked stepmom that you never wanted? It's also like, that's not what it's a, like, if I'm just picturing myself being in Robert's son's shoes, it's not about the money, but it's about that you're clearly abusing it now. It's not that I know the money's mine. It's that it's not, it's definitely not yours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, And the fact that like that's what she's making it sound like that's all she cares is like I'm getting the money and you're not. There's a legitimate recording of this voicemail too so you can actually listen to it. It's uh, Melissa girl. This is not a good look. So in 2002, Robert rewrites his will and makes Melissa the sole beneficiary. Robert. My sweet Robert. I know. And it's also reported that his health is failing. So, you know, who knows what kind of mindset he was in at the time. It's really hard. So usually you go through lawyers to do kind of all these things and it's not necessarily lawyers' jobs to kind of tell you talk you out of things. Yeah. But they are supposed to kind of keep an eye out and be aware that these things do exist and just see like, well, how you know, how long have you been married? How many kids do you have back home? Like, are you mm-hmm. sure you don't want to leave anything to your kids? Like 
Uh, I don't know if this lawyer did that and Robert decided to go ahead with it anyway, but this is really too bad. In December of 2002, less than two years after the couple got married, Robert dies. Melissa continues to receive Robert's social security checks, which is fraud. <laughs> Someone is dead. Oh, the checks stop coming. And yeah, this is she's just looking, you know, worse and worse in this timeline. On December 20th, the cremation certificate is issued and there was no autopsy or toxicology reports done. So the cremation obviously makes it very official Like you can't like later exhume a body and check for toxicology or any drugs or alcohol in the system. But I think it's really up to family. So I think if, if someone dies in a suspicious way, then they do an autopsy no matter what. But he was 84. It looked like a heart attack. And his wife just said, no, thank you. Cremation it is. In May of 2003, Melissa returns to PEI, but over the next year, she would travel back and forth between Canada and the United States. Robert's relatives, however, would not let it go. They continued to approach the police for help. One of Robert's son talks in the Fifth Estate episode and says that he would try and keep tabs on her through the internet. So probably feeling pretty powerless. He's not getting the response of investigators that he's wanted. It seems like he's really done everything that he could, which is really sad. But this is what he's doing. He's sleuthing. This is like the beginning of really internet sleuthing. He's Googling her name spelt different ways with different last names. And he finally finds an article about the killing of Gordon Stewart. So he finds out that the woman his dad was married to, the woman he's very suspicious of for not only taking him for all his money, but also in his death, had previously killed her husband. I have goosebumps right now just thinking of what he <laughs> thought when he found that his like, heart must holy have said holy shit i knew it <laughs> yeah like, i just picture him like in a dark corner with this computer like face like stuck on the screen and then just being like, <gasps> like <laughs> literally though yeah and like we're gonna post pictures of this woman but she looks like the least intimidating person i have ever seen oh my god that i didn't even make the connection that's her yeah, that's her. Mackie obviously saw pictures in our timeline for the episodes. I stick them in there to give her some entertainment. Oh my god, please go to our Instagram and look. <laughs> you wow. have to. Wow. You have to. In September of 2003, in Florida, the Manatee County Sheriff investigates Melissa for six count of doctor shopping, which is kind of like the prescription fraud we were talking about before. You cannot go to one doctor and get a prescription, then go to another doctor and get a prescription. That's not legal. In January 2004, Human Resource Development Canada launches an investigation of Melissa, specifically crimes relating to Old Age Security Act, which is check fraud. In September of 2004, Melissa initiates internet contact with as many as 20 men from across the United States and Canada. So it seems like, you know, good old Melissa is ready to move on to the next. She I has the hunt for her next boy. She's divorced one and buried two husbands. Oh my God, and... don't put it that way. I'm dead. Oh, <laughs> no pun intended. That's the truth. Oh man, like I don't feel like she has any like real emotions. Obviously not, like obviously not. But I just think like the devastation I feel when like my day doesn't go the right way. Like she's and I'm not saying that if she had no responsibility in any of these things that we just talked about, she shouldn't be able to get back out there and date again. I'm just saying me personally, I'd be in 24-7 therapy, so I wouldn't have any time to get onto the internet because I would have moved in with my therapist. <laughs> Yes. In October 20th, 2004, Robert's son receives a letter from the state's attorney office in Florida. The investigation is complete concerning the crimes of doctor shopping. A state attorney chooses not to proceed because they feel they will be unable to prove the charges against Melissa. So again, must feel extremely devastating for the family. They really thought they were going to get some kind of justice, like even if it wasn't. How do you not have proof of doctor shopping when like 
prescription dated prescription dated compare the dates i don't know if you have to have like actually like eyewitnesses to like say that that was the person or like confirm that that's the person because like what if you're just like well they must have used my name or something Um, but i don't know there's not a ton of information but i know that at least now like basically if someone doesn't see you do it you might get with it In October of 2004, the RCMP visit Melissa at her home in PEI to ask her questions about their investigation into the old age security fraud. She is so greedy. I mean, we can speculate that she, you know, at this point she could have gotten away with murder, but she's such a little greedy goose. She literally can't stop with the money stuff. She knows what she's doing too. She's on a mission. Girl, you just got away with murder. Like, leave the money stuff alone. Like, figure, (laughs) get a job, do something else. Like, lay low. She's like, can't do it. Can't do it. Gotta be rich. Early November 2004, the RCMP prepares to lay charges against her. At this time, she's actively dating on several sites, as I mentioned earlier. And I think she's kind of focusing on men in the US because I think her plan is a bit to to get the hell out of here. (laughs) She speaks to many men, but one stands out. A man named Alex Stratagos. Okay, sorry, just have to interrupt you. This man is the cutest (laughs) old man ever. He's really sweet. Look at that smile. <laughs> He's really sweet. You have to go see all the pictures for this case uh, because they're just, they're gold. I don't want to hear what happened to you. <laughs> Alex, run. Alex was a divorced 74-year-old diabetic. He had had several strokes and recently had had knee surgery. He's described as very nice and having a good sense of humor, but kind of a quiet guy. He had been married twice before, but was looking for his forever love. I don't know why old people have my heart. They really do. Don't and read ahead. Don't, sorry. <laughs> You're not allowed to read it. I'm going to stop my sharing privileges. <laughs> oh my god, they were on a dating site. Yes. Imagine being 73 and being on a dating site. So this is kind of the early years of dating sites, but they meet on a site called AmericanSinglesDating.com. How precious, really, how precious. Yeah. She decides to drive down to the U.S. to meet him. On November 5th, 2004, Melissa has dinner with Alex in also Florida. She then moves into his house that same night chill melissa <laughs> like, she moves in she's like i'm here to stay i pack my bags <laughs> she's like i gave my month's notice to my last place like i'm here. okay but i need her secrets at least like how do you get a hold on the men like this how are you that good at being like you love me right away i see interviews with her and like she seems like a miserable person so i was like <laughs> mm. like you there's nothing like like appealing about her right. to me at least not even like without knowing the story i just like i was like you, some people just have like those character personalities yeah. melissa's not it to me at least later that night alex is taken to hospital after falling down and hitting his head it's very suspicious let's just put it that way but they're older they had a night out they had some drinks i think it's reported that they had a little bit of, uh-uh you know and maybe he's got overwhelmed passed out or it's a lot of speculation <sighs> over a two-month period alex is hospitalized eight times December 28th, 2004, Alex signs over a power of attorney to Melissa while he's in hospital. Oh my god, this drives me nuts. I work a lot with power of attorneys and like personal directives and stuff in my job. And this is so scary because for those of you who don't know, first of all, get one done. They're very important. But for those of you who don't know, this basically assigns someone to make decisions for you financially and for your health when you are unable to do so. So think about that. Someone he's known for such a little amount of time has to make life-altering decisions for you in regards to your health and finances. This is terrifying. He also signs away his condo into her name. Which again, like you're saying, like what magic is going on over there? What's exactly? Settling? How does she do this? 
during this time, she's taking care of him and feeding him and caring for him, you know, kind of being that whole like, oh, you need someone, I'm here for you. He eventually even moves into a nursing home. That's how sick he is. And she stays in his condo. Yep. The medical staff are trying to kind of figure out what's going on with him. And eventually, one of the nursing staff actually expresses concern to Alex's son, Dean, about Melissa, since she was saying that she was his wife. So this is something you have to be very careful of. I mean, she has power of attorney and stuff like that, but there are sometimes really strange dynamics in families. Like if you're part of a care team like this and someone just comes in and says, I'm his wife so I can make all the decisions, like, uh-uh, no, where is that legal paperwork? Because you can't just go off, I mean... Again, she does have the paperwork, but no, ma'am, you're not his wife. All right. So do not be coming in here and saying that. <laughs> like, it's not, that's not how that works. So the nursing staff is well aware of this and they're like, uh, no, you're not his wife. And his son is active in his life and they express real concerns to the son. And there are places where you can actually report when people are abusing power of attorneys and stuff. So I think that's kind of what they were kind of hinting at a little bit. This is when Dean realizes that she has full control over his dad's life. In January 2005, Alex's son, Dean, sees unprescribed drugs, benzodiazepine, something we're familiar with, in his father's medical report and blood tests. This is so scary too, like as Dean as the son, because you're powerless there because these are legal documents and paperwork that's been set and signed. So like mm -hmm. I said, there are organizations you can report to, but you don't get power back with Instantly. the snap of your fingers. Yeah. yeah. Every night, Melissa had been feeding Alex some ice cream. And it's speculated that in that ice cream... <gasps> she put benzodiazepine in it. Oh, yeah. So she's showing up to feed her nice, quote-unquote, husband, you know, dessert after dinner every night at the nursing home. It's reported that after she would leave, like, he would feel dizzy, he would often fall, and, you know... It makes a lot of sense, and it's not like in nursing homes they're taking, like, regular blood tests unless you need it, right? He also discovers that around $18,000 is missing from his father's bank account. In the Fifth Estate episode, Melissa denies that she stole this much money. And, oh my god, in this episode, she is such a freaking liar. We're gonna, like, add the link into the description. It's on YouTube, so whether you're listening on podcast or watching on YouTube... You guys should go watch this episode. The host is like questioning her and he's like, well, you still, you know, apparently you stole amount this much from the, the, from Dean's father's bank account, from Alex's account. And she's like, no, I didn't. I took like this much and this much. And he's like, that basically like is an equivalent to $18,000. <laughs> one plus one <laughs> equals two. Like it's not quite 18000 but he's like, that's real close. So like, and she is like, uh, um, eh, eh, eh. like she's like trying to come up with a lie. And I'm like, you you're such a liar and you're not even a good one how did you get away with this for so long the host is like confronting her and says like you know can't you see a pattern here like this is the fourth man and you know the drugs and the money and you know and she giggles and says well well yes it sounds very bad but i didn't give him the drugs we already knew that our relationship was not going to continue like she can't even say no she's like <laughs> Kinda, I guess, you know. I'm, she's like, I'm good at it and I know it. And it's just in that moment when she like says well and giggles, it's like she's so proud of what yeah. she did. Like, oh, gold. To watch that and to know what happens is like, that's, you know. Dean searches the condo and sees that his dad's internet homepage has been changed to a Christian dating site. <laughs> so, okay, so you know when you open your internet yeah, browser? Yeah, like the, the default. Yeah, so usually it's so like Google or whatever. Yeah. So Melissa, who was, who was living there, had changed it to a Christian dating site, which like, can you not just like type in your Christian dating site? Like you have to make it your homepage. He's taking care of who's the next man. 
actually, this is all why Alex is in a nursing home. So I'm just going to tell you, Alex is totally fine now. He's actually interviewed in the Fifth Estate episode. Stop. I need to watch this. <laughs> yes. Alex. Yes. Alex, shout out Alex. <laughs> so in 2012, this is when that episode comes out. He looks totally fine. I don't think that he's living in a nursing home anymore, which well, I don't there, know for do sure. Do you think he's alive still? Oh, I don't know. Like, I, like I now, so. probably no. not? No, I don't. He was probably think so. really old, even in that docu- like documentary. <laughs> well, what he was seventy five when they met in like two thousand. Uh, seventy three in okay. two thousand five. Either way, he survived Melissa, which is the important part. Yes, agreed. And when he talks in this documentary, like the way they describe like this frail old man in a nursing home, like needing twenty four hour care, he's just like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm talking, telling my story." He was freaking abused by this woman because to be in a nursing home, you do not need to look like the way he looked like in that video. Right. Dean, who's also in the documentary, like I mentioned, uh, says that every time Alex was feeling better and was ready to go home from hospital, his health would get worse again. In January 2005, the Florida police arrest Melissa and charge her with exploitation of elderly, theft, and forgery. Police say she coerced Alex to give her power of attorney and then siphoned off all his money into her own bank account. As the investigation starts, investigators are shocked at Melissa's history of fraud and husband's suspicious deaths. Deaths. (laughs) Plural. (laughs) She would not be charged with attempted murder of Alex. I guess there was not enough evidence. To me, this seems like it's given towards attempted murder, but... February 1st, 2005, in the Nova Scotia RCMP issue a warrant for Melissa's arrest. She's charged with defrauding the government of Canada over $30,348.54 over a four-year period. What do you need all that money for? If she put half the amount of effort into getting an actual job, like I'd like to think that she would do pretty or good for herself. Or invest or something with the money you've already stole from other people. I know. Like, you already got a bunch of money from everyone else. You don't need 30 more thousand dollars. In March of 2005, Melissa pleads guilty to seven charges related to Alex's case, including three counts of grand theft from a person of 65 years or older, two counts of forgery, and two counts of using a forged document. As part of a plea agreement, she's sentenced to five years in jail. Five years. years in jail. But I think basically instead of, they're saying like, instead of going to trial, yeah. I'm just going to plead to it for and a lesser your sentence. sentence. Yeah. Yes. It's stupid though. Like that's like she did so much. She really did. In April of 2009, Melissa is released from prison in Florida and deported to Canada. She currently at this point lives on her own in a senior's apartment in Nova Scotia and has so far made good on her promise to stay out of trouble. So she was allowed, well not allowed, she was kicked out of the States, (laughs) gone back to Florida, moved into a senior's community and this is so stupid, but (laughs) promise to stay out of trouble. (laughs) But a few years later, in the fall of 2012, she meets a man called Fred Weeks. He had just lost his wife of 50 years and was very lonely. Does this sound familiar? He married Melissa after one month. Maggie's speechless. (laughs) I just can't. One of Fred's friends would perform the wedding. On the Fifth Estate episode, the friend says that he got a call from another friend who told him to watch the CBC documentary called Widow's Web, a doc about Melissa. So there had been like a documentary already created about her from CBC. So he marries his friend Fred off. And then one of his friends calls him and says, yo, you know that friend that you just married? Go watch the CBC documentary about the woman he married. I'm sure in pure panic, the friend tries to reach Fred, but the couple had already left to begin their honeymoon in the Maritimes. 
Oh my God. I'd be stressed if I was that friend. Like, how do you warn? They take a ferry over to Nova Scotia and decide to stay the night in a hotel. It's reported the two weren't feeling that well since a ferry ride was pretty long. In the morning, Melissa asks the innkeeper to phone 911 because Fred isn't feeling well. But she asks her to please wait until she's done her breakfast. If it's urgent enough to call 911, then how about you don't finish your breakfast or you finish your breakfast after 911 is called or comes or whatever? Yes, because it's not that urgent to get in the car and drive yourself exactly. to the, to the hospital. So first responders show up and bring Fred to the hospital. And she would tell the staff that he just had Alzheimer's, so he was kind of confused and that she was his only family. Hospital staff find out, however, that he has a son and a daughter and had no history of Alzheimer's. When they run some tests, they find that his blood had high levels of benzodiazepine. Like, relax. Relax. Why don't you try not murdering people? Yeah, why don't you why try don't... just, like, being quiet and watching TV and knitting? Like, like you could still get money while you're in love. Why don't you share the assets, girl? Exactly. <laughs> why do you need it all for yourself? Risk going back to freaking jail. This is what we call a black widow. But also, I feel like there's a bit of, like, Munchausen by proxy syndrome. Where, like, she enjoys having them, like, be sick for a long time. Mm. So Munchausen by proxy syndrome is kind of like when you make a loved one sick for the attention. So So I have a feeling it's a mix of like Black Widow slash that because she keeps them sick for a long time. And she seems to enjoy this part. Right, because it's not like she just overdoses them and they're like they're dead. So whether it's more of like the process seems like a more legitimate death or she's enjoying it. Either way, I mean, she's enjoying it, I think. Yeah. But so police get immediately involved and they detain Melissa. They find a giant amount of pills with her, like in her, on her, in her mm-hmm. belongings, and a tub of ice cream. <laughs> That's really her preferred method. Too bad, like, yeah. his friend couldn't have called him and been like, don't eat ice cream when you're around her. September of 2012, Melissa was charged with attempted murder and administering nauseous things. Listed in the court documents as a tranquilizer that is benzodiazepine. The couple had been married just a few days before the 75-year-old Fred fell ill. Fred would later say, I think she's a wicked woman. She's not safe with any man, and she will do it again. That's my opinion. Their union was later ruled invalid by the province's vital statistics division after it said that false information was provided on the marriage certificate. This seems to kind of be like, you know, her standard just kind of BSing, so this doesn't really surprise me. It was probably on her part. In 2016, she is released, and she had to follow 27 strict conditions upon her release. Here are some of these conditions. So she basically had to report any new romantic relationship for two years. Just for two years, she had to report any new romantic relationships. She had to report to the police weekly, and she had to inform them of any changes of her appearance and provide, like, consistent photographs of what she looked like. These are just kind of strange to me. Like, it's so like, strange. No, you're not allowed romantic relationships. Like, you're, you're not able to handle it. So yeah. you're just not, like, it's a no for you. You were just single for life. So uh, another one of these conditions was that she wasn't allowed to use the internet because obviously this was one of her tools to be able to find men. So in April of 2016, she was seen at the Halifax Central Library accessing the internet by a community response officer and was also found with a device capable of accessing the internet during this incident, which were, again, like I said, breaches of her release conditions she had received just one month before. So she was charged with breaching the terms of her release on August 4th. Her lawyer entered a not guilty plea for three counts of breaching a recognizance including ban of accessing internet, 
on her behalf. Her trial was set to begin February 1st, 2017, but the charges were eventually dropped in December 22nd of 2016. How are the charges dropped in this case? I don't know. She feels like such a danger to society. I have no idea, but we probably don't have access to this information, but the charges are just dropped. That's it. She breaks the conditions of her parole one month after being released, and they're like, "Mm." Just drop the charges. You're good. (laughs) This next part is from a global article by Nick Logan. Melissa Ann Shepard, an 80-year-old woman dubiously nicknamed the Internet Black Widow, is out of prison once again. But one of her ex-boyfriends and former victims believed that her third stint in prison probably hasn't changed her ways. Marie's favorite person in the story, Alex, remembers all too well how he struck a friendship up with the 73-year-old woman he met on the internet in late 2004, and whom he believed drugged him and swindled him out of $20,000. Melissa Ann Shepard, also known as Melissa Ann Weeks, Melissa Ann Friedrich, Melissa Ann Shepard, and Melissa Ann Stewart, who began her life as Melissa Ann Russell, now, like I said, is all very well known in Canada as the Internet Black Widow, is now living in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Hopefully living a quiet life without access to men, the internet, women, other human beings, secluded. I don't know what to say. You're just yeah. saying all her last, like different last names just is, is enough. What a case. Yeah, like what a case. To me, she murdered two and attempted murder two more. That's okay. how I'm seeing this The story. exact same way too. Like yeah. she didn't even try to change her methods, which just makes it more obvious that it was intentional. That was really her drug of choice. I wonder if like, she ever took it or if she literally just had it on her to give it. That's a good question. I like, wonder, I wonder if she ever dosed, those drugs. Yeah, dosed herself. Obviously not as much as her ice cream uh, treat, but... Okay, I'm looking it up right now because I feel like everyone wants to know. Okay, benzodiazepines, sometimes called benzos, are a class of psychoactive drugs whose core chemical structure is a fusion of benzene rings and diazepine ring. As a depressant drug which lower brain activity, they are prescribed to treat conditions such as anxiety, insomnia, and seizures. Anyway, so I think what we're taking from this is to just be really careful no matter how old you are, who you meet on the internet. Just be aware that not everyone's out there for your best interest. And maybe wait a couple months before you get engaged. Oh my god, yes. And rely on your family members and friends if they're telling you that something seems off about your Mm. new partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. (sighs) Listen to them. This week, we'll be donating to the Canadian Network for the Prevention of Elder Abuse. This is from their website. We connect people and organizations, foster the exchange of reliable information, and advance program and policy development on issues related to preventing the abuse of older adults. We do this work at the provincial and national levels. If you would like to contribute, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram and TikTok bio. Pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram, so please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terribletruecrime at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. And see you next time.